The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by Alumni Ventures. Invest with confidence. Discover the power of venture investing with Alumni Ventures, America's largest venture firm for individual investors. Learn more at av.vc. LinkedIn presents. Being alive can be rough, but that's not a sign that we missed out on some secret knowledge that others have or that we're being punished by a cosmic force. It's just part of the deal. And when we embrace this, when we embrace that suffering is a part of being a human, life actually becomes a lot more pleasant and workable. Welcome back to the Next Big Idea Daily with me, your host, Michael Kovnat. Happy Friday, everyone. Or... Maybe it's not so happy. I don't know your situation. Maybe you're having a tough day. You could be having a bad year for all I know, or maybe your entire life isn't going the way you hoped it would. Sorry to be a bummer, but if that's the case, you're not alone. All of us go through hard times, short or long, and maybe the goal isn't to avoid bad days, but to handle them with grace, maybe even with joy. It might sound like a lofty ideal, but today we're gonna hear from Chelsea Harvey Garner, a psychotherapist who's written a new book called A Pity Party is Still a Party, A Feel-Good Guide to Feeling Bad. Here she is to share some of her key insights. As a therapist, people often come to me hoping I can solve their problems. They don't usually say this explicitly, but on some level, it seems we all tend to assume that Our lives are challenging because we are doing something wrong. Worse, many of us feel that pain is a sign that there's something wrong with us. Naturally, we want therapy to fix this, to fix us, so that we can walk away with a cleaner, sparklier life that more closely resembles the lives of people we hate follow on social media. As much as I wish I could offer this, It's just not something I think I can deliver on. And I don't think that's because I suck at my job. I happen to think I'm a pretty decent therapist. I just don't think it's possible. Whether or not our personal experiences have been traumatic, being alive is difficult. The world is a challenging place, both in this modern era and also always. Being alive can be rough, But that's not a sign that we missed out on some secret knowledge that others have or that we're being punished by a cosmic force. It's just part of the deal. And when we embrace this, when we embrace that suffering is a part of being a human, life actually becomes a lot more pleasant and workable. If we can take a more curious, open attitude toward ourselves and our experiences, we feel more capable of meeting the inevitable challenges that arise and even learning to enjoy and become fascinated by those difficult emotions. I see a lot of clients in my therapy practice who seem to really believe that they feel the wrong things in the wrong amount and at the wrong time. Many of us even further believe that emotions themselves are innately unproductive. They're a waste of time, We tend to think that anytime we're feeling something, especially something intense or unpleasant, we are not being reasonable. And this is pretty much just an inaccurate understanding of what emotion is. Emotion is not a strange occurrence that arises randomly or sporadically, compromising our ability to think. 
Sure, sometimes we do get flooded with anxiety or depression that interferes with our ability to function. But this has just as much to do with the quality of our thoughts as our emotions. Humans are innately and profoundly emotional creatures. We are experiencing some form of emotion almost all of the time. And that is not actually a distraction from logic. It's actually a primary way that we take in information. So when we believe that emotions are at odds with our ability to reason, we try to repress them. We think we're doing right by ourselves in repressing and denying our emotions. But actually, this just cuts us off from our experience, our intuition, and our ability to connect. Thinking and feeling work in tandem. And we need access to both thoughts and feelings to make informed decisions, to remain connected, and to understand what matters most in life. We also see this collective distrust of emotion playing out at the social scale, making us skeptical of anyone who is overtly hurting. When we believe that emotions are a sign that a person is unstable, automatically we tend to discount their testimony when they are feeling something difficult. It's not that hard to see how this idea can quickly become problematic at the political level. If a group of people are obviously suffering more than others, then we, if we hold this belief, assume that they are irrational. And then we kind of automatically discredit their views and sometimes even justify ignoring their needs. This automatically also positions the people who are having the easiest time, who seem less emotional, as the most rational. This is just a huge misunderstanding of what emotion is and what it does. So I advocate here for a radical change in our beliefs about emotion and our attitude toward them. I think we need to honor their validity. We need to trust that they happen for a reason. And we need to understand that emotions are necessary. They are safe to feel, and they are often extremely reasonable responses to the events of our lives. It seems to me that the word ritual has become sort of a controversial idea for most folks. It's important to note that when I talk about ritual in the book, I don't mean doing strange magic in the woods, although I totally support you if that is what you want to do. I mean simple things like that quiet cup of coffee we have every morning without our phones, preferably, or meditating for five minutes before we go to sleep. Humans have always practiced rituals together. Whether they were tied to religion or not, we have learned to process change through group activities especially activities that allow us to fully emote and lose ourselves. When we come together in this way, we experience a state of flow, which is a primary means of releasing stress and experiencing consistent well-being. We also find that group rituals can help us access a state of transcendence that's called collective effervescence. And this can border on euphoria, ecstasy, or a sense of spiritual breakthrough for people, even when the event is focused on releasing things like grief or a major shift, a cultural shift. Group rituals don't have to be formal ceremonies like weddings. They can take the form of concerts or protests. These events help us feel like part of something bigger than ourselves, and we all need that. They allow us to dissolve our state of being an individual who's facing the world alone and instead become a part of something bigger, something more meaningful, and ultimately feel a sense of belonging within community. 
Group rituals help us release the pressure to think critically and remain in control. These states of being that rituals produce offer many benefits for our physical and mental health, but even more so, they help us connect to the broader societies we're a part of. Through group rituals, people from different political and cultural backgrounds can find themselves feeling bonded and a sense of meaning and belonging with each other. Rituals are extremely good for us and our mental health, and even better if they help us feel connected to community and to the living earth around us. Thank you, Chelsea. All right, everyone, that wraps up the week for us. Hope you have a good weekend. But even if you don't, I hope you can embrace it the way Chelsea suggests. Come on back next week when I'll have new ideas for you. Ideas I hope will put a little lift in your day. And here's another way to spark joy. Sign up for my free weekly newsletter. It's a great resource, if I do say so myself, a portal to the best new nonfiction ideas landing in your inbox every Friday. Check it out using the link in the episode notes. I'm Michael Kavnat. See you Monday.